Well, hello, friends. Today's a special self-storage episode of uh, the Troncast with Tron Jordheim. Welcome. So one of the things that people love to talk about in self-storage and we don't always talk about enough is the legal aspect of things. Is when I'm talking to people about the self-storage industry, one of the things I, I try to mention to them is what a fantastic job the grandmothers and grandfathers of self-storage did in creating the right kind of legal framework for us to do business. This is often the hurdle that people have in other countries outside of the U.S. or even outside of U.S. and Canada and Australia is that the legal framework is not always conducive to doing all the things we need to do to run an efficient and strong business. So if you don't uh, subscribe to the self-storage legal review from the Self-Storage Association, which you find at selfstorage.org, you are, you are missing some great education. And I love to read through this every time it comes. And uh, I'm going to share with you some of my impressions on some of the most recent articles from the latest issue, the March-April 2020, because there's some really important things in here that you need to keep in mind for your self-storage business. So the uh, first article is called, Court Rejects the Dollar Special Lawsuit. So if I understand this uh, lawsuit correctly, uh, there is a group of attorneys who tried to put together a class action group to sue public storage over the dollar move-in special. And their attempt at creating an opportunity for them to win uh, damages is that uh, they claim that the dollar move-in special did not properly explain that you also need insurance lock and admin fee to do that rental. And so they were trying to put together a class which would have been, I think they were trying to go back five years. So can you imagine how many people rented a unit for a dollar special at public storage over a five-year period? Holy for holies, that's a lot of people, which is why they were trying to create the class so they could go forward with the suit because the 30 or 40 percent fee on that would have been fantastic. And I'm not talking bad about people who put together class action lawsuits because Class action specialist attorney groups have helped us with lots of things we needed, like environmental legislation and voting rights and all those kinds of things. So uh, I wish they would focus more on those kinds of things and less on trying to find a crack in the self-storage shell. But anyway, they could not crack the self-storage shell on this one. The court said you can't create a group from here because not everyone got the same message. A lot of people rented their unit online where they got links and reminders about all the other stuff you have to know and also saw in their uh, rental process that they uh, would need lock, uh, admin fee, insurance, and so on. And then people who came from other avenues, uh, they all got sort of a different look as to what the confirmation message was, whether that came from email or in person or whatever. So the number of people who, who could, with some accuracy, claim that no one told them about lock, admin, and insurance was pretty small. And so the court said, forget it, you can't have a class here. 
So that was the end of that. So the the big lesson here is um, make sure you are specific about the small print on any offers. Make sure it is plain in the confirmation email, in the confirmation page on the website, in whatever you're doing, make sure it's plain. Or if you have your call center agents doing the rental, make sure they have some wrap-up language. So it's clear, yes, your rent is a dollar, but you're gonna need insurance, you'll need to buy a lock, and we have an admin fee, or however you set it up. So that's good news for us. Be very careful how you set up those promotions so people don't come in and get annoyed at you because you clearly forgot to tell them some of the fine print. So that's important. Uh, Another issue they bring up here is the Telephone Consumer Protection Act, which is supposed to protect us against spam calls. And so public storage had an interesting issue here where they had a collection agency making calls for them. And what they were using was an automatic dialer but what what is banned or what gets you in trouble, let me say it that way, is if you're using what they call an automated uh, dialing system, right? What they were using here is an actual agent would look at each account and then click the phone number to dial the number. And if someone answered, then that call was routed to a collection specialist. So the person doing the suit uh, claimed that it was an automated system. And the reason, well, the reason the suit started is they had a wrong number in the system and they were calling somebody's cell phone who actually wasn't their tenant. And so this person was, you know, paying data or minutes or whatever they were paying and was pretty annoyed about that. So understandable. So the first lesson is please try to make sure your contact records are clean so that if you're trying to contact someone, you are contacting who you want to contact and not annoying somebody else who's got a different phone number, let's say. So in any case, what the court said was the definition of these automatic dialing systems is pretty broad and pretty vague. And the intention was to stop robocalls And they said having someone click on a phone number to generate a call is not a robocall. That's generated by a real person. So it's not a violation of the Telephone Consumer Protection Act. So, okay. So lessons. Uh, Be careful your contacts are straight. Make sure your contacts are in order. Uh, Number two, have somebody initiate these calls uh, or at least watch the um, the account to make sure you're not getting yourself in trouble there. Uh, there's another very good article about the Americans with Disability Act and what happens with the lawsuits there. Some of you may have gotten calls or may still get calls where someone says, hey, is your property accessible for handicapped people? And if you say no, you've got someone who shows up in about five minutes with a with lawsuit papers this has happened to many people so uh, here was a case again public storage I mean they're the biggest baddest kid on the block so they get lots of attention Um, they were suing public storage because public storage had some amount of violations of ADA regulations but as soon as public storage was sued for these violations they went went in and fixed all the problems 
And so what the court decided was the suit is moot because the violations have been fixed. So that is important to know. So first of all, make sure that you are ADA accessible, make sure you meet all the requirements. But if you don't, and somebody says something about it, fix it right away. That will protect you from further suits and costs. So watch out for that. Another interesting article, uh, state of Washington is trying to double the time you have to wait to sell somebody's property uh, and they have lots of reasons for doing that, uh, but uh, that causes an issue for us. The longer we have a, a delinquent unit sitting there, the harder it is to collect that money, and then we don't have that unit in inventory to rent to someone who's actually going to pay on time. So that's, that's troubling. Then there was also a piece in there about how uh, the state of Florida upheld the rental agreement release of liability. Okay, so this is super important. You've got to, if you are not having one of the self-storage specialist attorneys uh, review your leases to make sure they're good, you need to do that because the release of liability is super important. That makes sure that it is plain that you do not have care, control, and custody over those goods and that all the liability sits with the tenant. And so the court found in our favor on that uh, because the release of liability was pretty plain. Pretty plain. Try saying that 10 times. Uh, now, talking about releases of liability, they, they also talk in, in relation to that. Outside of the storage industry, there have been some cases where people were able to fight their the release of liability they signed for one reason or another. So please make sure that you're getting people to sign the contract, whether that's virtually or in person or, or through an e-link or whatever you're doing. Make sure every contract is signed because that release of liability is super important. Uh, we're, we're seeing uh, another piece here about uh, South Carolina is trying to amend the lien laws to allow for uh, notification that is not just printed newspaper. This has been an ongoing thing for years, trying to get state lien laws to allow us to advertise uh, auctions uh, through online or other means and have that be properly advertised. So that's an ongoing struggle in many states. Uh, we're also, um, some, some other interesting things in here, about employee bonuses. So this is important. A lot of self-storage operators, a lot, I don't know what that number is. I say that like it's thousands, maybe it's tens, have gotten themselves in trouble with wage and hour issues, right? Some people have tried to claim that their store manager is an exempt employee because we call him a manager, but it is very difficult to get a self-storage manager to be an exempt employee because they usually are not managing staff so so their um, their position usually does not meet the job duties test all right so that means you have to pay overtime so the issue with bonuses is bonuses have to be counted as a part of the regular wage that you're using to calculate your overtime unless it's a discretionary bonus that has nothing to do with work performance and so on 
and the rules on what's a discretionary bonus and what's a, what's a non-discretionary bonus are, appear to be pretty narrow, so you need to be really careful with that. Uh, if you tell somebody, hey, good job, I'm going to give you a $100 bonus, that is not a discretionary bonus. That is based on their work performance because you said, hey, pretty good job. Now, if you say, my gosh, it's a beautiful spring day and the red buds are blooming and the lilacs are out and I'm feeling so good, I'm going to give you $500, that's a discretionary bonus. Okay, so be careful what you're doing with your overtime or you could get yourself in trouble there. So watch that. Um, some other interesting things in there uh, in regard to cost of running operations and also in regards to employee morale is minimum wage issues. So uh, Florida is going to have a measure on the ballot this November about getting to a $15 minimum wage. Uh, I believe it's going to you know, take them, whatever, five or six years to get there. Uh, but be aware that this is a movement every place and you need to figure into your performas for future performance that most places are going to have significant increases in minimum wage. And also you're going to need to figure in that you may have to be well above whatever minimum wage is going to be to attract the right kind of people who are going to be reliable and watch out for your assets. So watch that in your performance that you are not underestimating future payroll. Uh, another interesting piece that came up that will affect us is um, Pennsylvania construction companies uh, have a new level of uh, compliance that they'll need to meet for the E-Verify Act. And any of you who've done any kind of construction work or trying to do any kind of construction work know that it is tough to get a crew and put a crew together. And so some of the Pennsylvania construction companies are, are fighting this, saying that in a, in a time, you know, before COVID-19 hit of low unemployment, it's very tough to put a crew together. Uh, in the future, it may be very tough to put a crew together because you may not be able to find the people with the expertise to do the work. And uh, anyway, that's complicated, much more complicated issue than I can deal with on this little episode of Troncast, the podcast. But uh, I hope for those of you who are listening who do not get the self-storage legal review from the Self-Storage Association, have gotten a few good ideas on some things to look at and some things to check yourself on as you are thinking about how you approach the legal issues in self-storage. So shout out to the Self-Storage Association for keeping us, your members, informed and for the advocacy work you do for us every day in the legal field and in the regulatory field. Thanks so much, Self-Storage Association. And uh, thank you all for listening to the Troncast with Tron Jordheim. Uh, look for me at selfstoragestrategies.com. And if you would like to join me and some of my friends for a fantastic week in Hawaii in October 2020, go to Hawaii.
Thanks for tuning in. You can find me at jordheimconsulting.com. That's jordheimconsulting.com. Or if you're in the self-storage business, go to selfstoragestrategies.com, selfstoragestrategies.com. And if you'd like to join me for a fantastic networking week in Hawaii with some of my self-storage friends, go to hawaiiunconference.com. That's hawaiiunconference.com.